I'm sure, as Warren has already mentioned as we had our time of prayer, the Christian life is full of troubles. Being a Christian doesn't guarantee you good crops. Being a Christian doesn't guarantee you good health. Life is full of troubles. And sometimes it probably feels as though God's losing. You look around and wonder, where's God? Or at least God could do something, but he's distracted or he's having a break. Or for some reason, he's just stepped back. We look at our own nation, we see those laws passed in Victoria that would oppose God's word. We've got laws on abortion. We've got all sorts of laws that really push back against what God's law is. We hear about the persecuted church. We'll hear more next week from the Barnabas Fund. Christians in North Korea, Vietnam, other places who are suffering, put in prison, put to death. But we can just look to ourselves in our own lives where family or others can have a go at us for being Christian or in any way. Inside ourselves, our own wrestling with temptation, our own spiritual struggles, our own frustrations as we live the Christian life. And like David and Job and others, we can cry out, how much longer, Lord? How much longer? And then we come to a time of history where the Lord speaks to a man called Zechariah. He comes to him. Zechariah is a Levite. He's, in the, he's a priest. It's his job to go up now with his division to function, worship in the temple. God orders the lot so that his name is pulled out. He's the one who has to draw near to the Holy of Holies to burn incense. And then God speaks. God speaks words of hope, words that are just too wonderful and boggle his mind. Because he says, like to Abraham and Sarah, even though you are very, very old, you're going to have a child. In verse 18 of chapter 1 of Luke, he says, No, my wife is advanced in years. It can't happen. That word advanced doesn't just mean old. It means beyond old. Like if you think you've gone, you've gone further. And then he reminds, we're reminded down in verse 36, where the angel tells Mary about her cousin, her relative, and said, in her old age. The Greek word is where we get the word geriatric from. So Elizabeth is old. Zachariah's trying to remind the Lord, but the Lord says, what's that? I am sovereign, I am in control, she is going to conceive. He goes home, but on account of his doubt, he can't speak. He's made mute, and for nine months, Zachariah can't speak. First five months, Elizabeth stays in hiding. She doesn't let anyone see. On the sixth month of her pregnancy, the angel visits Mary and she conceives by the Holy Spirit and she's going to carry the Messiah but has been told your relative Elizabeth is going to carry the one who's going to prepare the way. And the time comes in verse 57 where Elizabeth gives birth. She alone could probably truly experience the joy that Sarah, Abraham's wife, experienced as she gives birth to their boy. Everyone's rejoicing. Everyone's making a loud noise except one man. He still can't speak. They ask her, what will his name mean? His name will be called John. Everyone thought that was strange because there's no relative called John. You're not going to name him after his father or someone else. So they all go and harass Zachariah. And he 
finds something and he communicates with them and says, John, and it says they wonder, they marvel. They, God's doing something here. The, word, the name John means Yahweh is gracious. They all knew that he had had a vision. God had done something. A child is being carried as a miraculous child in Elizabeth's womb. A child that's a sign of the graciousness of God. And at that moment, Zachariah's lips are loosened. His tongue is loosened. He's filled with the Lord and he goes from silence to worship. The only thing that can come out of his mouth at that point is to praise God, to point everyone to God and to give glory to him. And we see that everyone's marvelling. What is this all about? And the Holy Spirit then fills and inspires Zechariah with the words that we have from verse 68 down to 79, which we're going to consider. And essentially, it's the fulfilment of all that God had promised to Abraham. The one who will conquer your enemies has come. The one who will deliver you from all your troubles has come. And so we'll look at three, three steps to break it up. Verse 68 to 70, the prophets. Verse 71 to 75, the promise. And then 76 to, 70, to verse 79, the propitiation. So the prophets, the promise, the propitiation. So let's think about the prophets. Blessed be the Lord God of Israel, for he has visited and redeemed his people and has raised up a horn of salvation for us in the house of his servant David, as he spoke by the mouth of his holy prophets from of old. We've got that term, a horn of salvation. In the Bible, the horn is a sign of a powerful king. When a ram wants to show he's in charge, he puts his head down, he shows his horns, and he charges and he tries to smash out of his way whatever he wants to get out of his way. And Jesus is the horn of salvation. He's the one, he's the horn who has all power and authority. He's the most powerful of horns and Jesus will smash out of his way everything and anything that opposes him. When he comes to save his people, nothing will be able to resist Jesus. When he comes to deliver them from all their troubles, nothing will be able to resist him. He is the greatest, the sovereign horn. He guarantees the deliverance of his people. And he's the king. Since the beginning of the world, God's people have been waiting for the horn of salvation. God's chosen king, the king of kings. At Christmas, we often hear the word Messiah the most. Messiah is Hebrew for anointed one. The kings were anointed. Christ is exactly the same word. It's the Greek word for the anointed one. So when we say Jesus Christ, we're saying Jesus Messiah or Jesus the King. Jesus is the King of David's line, we are told, in the house of God's servant David. The one who would rescue his people as you follow the promises, you follow the line of David. The descendant who would sit on his throne. And so from the very beginning of the Garden of Eden all the way through, God keeps reminding his people, I haven't forgotten. I will deliver you. My promises are sure and certain. From one millennia, from one to the next, from one century to the next, God keeps reminding them. The Messiah is coming. 
And so through these, we must remember a prophet is someone who reveals the things of God, whether that's past, present, or future. So prophecy isn't just about what's future. The prophet's role is to reveal to us what God wants us to know. And so this is where the readers need to get ready because let's take a journey of the prof- some, just a handful of the prophecies that Zechariah would have held on to and Elizabeth. They go all the way back to the beginning of the world. God's prophet Moses gave us the opening books of the Bible and we read and encourage you, we're going to keep going forward. So we're not going backwards and forwards. So turn with us to Genesis chapter 3. We're going to read about 6 or 7. Genesis chapter 3. Or if looking it up a bit much right now, just write the references down. But Genesis chapter 3 verse 15. We call it the fall. Everything's gone bad. But then God makes this promise. He says to the serpent, verse 15 of chapter 3, I will put enmity between you and the woman and between your offspring and her offspring. He shall bruise your head and you shall bruise his heel. The world's divided into two. Either you're of the children of the devil, which Jesus even called the Pharisees, or you're children of faith, children of the offspring of the, the woman. And there'll be enmity. They're going to be enemies. But then the prophecy says that he, a singular, will one day come, God speaking to the serpent in that presence, one day in the future, he shall come. And though you strike his heel, he's going to give you the death blow and strike your head. The great deliverer. Bronwyn, if you can read for us Genesis 12, 2 to 3, please. Before the great oppression, the curse came upon the earth. And so you're following the line of the woman, and as you read through, finally the line comes to a man, Abraham, and God's saying the golden thread, the promise is going to come through him, the one who's going to bring blessing to overcome the cursing, the one who's going to set us free from the fall and bring renewal. And so we wait. Let's turn to Genesis chapter 22. Verse 16. The Lord says to Abraham, By myself I have sworn, declares the Lord, because you have done this and have not withheld your son, your only son. I will surely bless you and I'll surely multiply your offspring as the stars of heaven and as the sand is on the seashore and your offspring shall possess the gate of his enemies or their enemies. God guarantees that a people that he will establish will not be oppressed. They will overcome all their enemies. They shall not be persecuted. But Abraham's about 2,000 years. So if you think of the time from us to when Jesus came is roughly 2,000 years, Zechariah's about that distance from when this promise came to Abraham. Let's go 1,000 years before Jesus. 1 Chronicles. And the Bible follows the thread and comes to David sorry we don't want to miss this one Genesis 49 that's Sandy's one sorry just go back to Genesis 49 because we go from Abraham Isaac and to Jacob 
And then we hear something about one of his sons. So sorry, Sandy. Genesis 49, 8 to 12. God promises that from the tribe of Judah will come a ruler who will rule with a scepter and the obedience of the nations, all the world will submit to him. So let's move forward now to 1 Chronicles 17. 1st and 2nd Kings, 1st and 2nd Chronicles. And I think it's helpful to remember that we are, the distance from us to Jesus is the same as from Zechariah to Abraham. So the time spans that we look at, a long time, is common to the, the Bible. It's common to God's salvation history. So 1 Chronicles 17, the prophet Nathan comes to David and says this in verse 7. Now therefore, thus shall you say to my servant David... Thus says, I took you from the pasture, from following the sheep, to be prince over my people Israel. And I have been with you wherever you have gone and cut off all your enemies from before you. And I will make for you a name like the name of the great ones of the earth. And I will appoint a place for my people Israel and will plant them. And they will dwell in their own place and be disturbed no more. And violent men shall waste them no more as formerly. From the time that I appointed judges over my people Israel, and I will subdue all your enemies. Moreover, I will declare to you that the Lord will build you a house. When your days are fulfilled to walk with your fathers, I will raise up your offspring after you, one of your own sons. I'll establish his kingdom. He shall build a house for me. I will establish his throne forever. I will be to him a father, and he will be to me a son. And I'll not take my steadfast love from him as I took it from him who was before you. But I'll confirm him in my house and in my kingdom forever. And his throne shall be established forever. As God keeps reminding him, keeps building up the picture of what they are to expect. Lucy, Psalm 2, please. Psalm 2, 7 to 12. Then Isaiah 9, 6 to 7.
Because for Zechariah, these are all the prophecies that are being fulfilled. This is what Christ has come to do. Recognize this from Christmas, Isaiah 9, 6-7. For to us a child is born, to us a son is given, and the government shall be upon his shoulders, and his name shall be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Of the increase of his government and of peace there will be no end. On the throne of David and over his kingdom to establish it and to uphold it with justice and with righteousness from this time forth and forevermore. The zeal of the Lord of hosts will do this. And Sarah, Micah 5, please. Yes, please. So God's people, the promise is, again and again, and it just gets bigger and bigger, a dwelling, a place under God, complete peace. No enemies will overcome you. And blessed be the Lord, Zechariah cries out, full of the Holy Spirit. God is sending the deliverer. And what's that? My boy is going to be the one who's going to announce his coming. The Olympics, we get excited, or the person get excited, is chosen from the team to carry the flag, to go before. But that's nothing. Zachariah saying, my boy is the one who's going to go before the... God has chosen from his team, my boy, to go before the coming of Jesus, the coming of this mighty deliverer, the King of Kings, and he is thrilled that the King is coming. And it's the God of Israel. We shouldn't feel uncomfortable about that, all the peoples of the world had forsaken God. People worshipped no gods or false gods. And God came to a man, Abraham, and revealed, I am Yahweh, I am the true God. And God said, I'll establish your pe a people out of you who will worship me. And God calls them Israel. And anyone who puts their faith in Jesus is counted as children of Israel. And so the true God that all people of the earth need to come and worship is the God of Israel, the God of Abraham. If you put your faith in Jesus Christ, you are counted as a son of Abraham or a daughter of Abraham. So this promises that we look at now apply for you too. The hope you get to share in them. Verse 71, salvation. That we should be saved from our enemies and from the hand of all who hate us. To show the mercy promised to our fathers and to remember his holy covenant. The oath that he swore to our father Abraham to grant to us that we might be delivered from the hand of our enemies, might serve him without fear, in holiness and righteousness before him all our days. God is going to establish a nation. 
So who are the enemies from which God will save his people? God's people have so many enemies. It's all of them. The Bible is clear that in the end it's all of them. Jesus, the mighty horn, who will come and overcome all our enemies. That's the promise that the prophets keep giving to us. The outcome of Jesus' deliverance will be perfect peace, everlasting peace. And so let's consider who some of these enemies are. We've seen from Genesis chapter 3 that God says there'll be enmity. It's the world is an enemy of God's people. The children of the devil, the seed, his seed. You can't be either. There's no third space. And when Jesus Jesus comes, he will ultimately deal with all who persecute his people, all who oppose his people, all who would cause his people to suffer. Through the Bible, we see God's people facing opposition by the Babylonians, the Assyrians, the Egyptians. We see in the day of Zechariah and Elizabeth, the Romans. And so there is a very real fulfillment of God's people living in the earth they inherit at peace with no enemies. The devil. He's the one who we would come and crush Ephesians 6 says our battle is not against flesh and blood, but against the spiritual forces of the devil. One day Jesus will throw the devil and his angels into the lake of fire prepared for them. He will be done with and they will be done with forever. Spiritual oppression forever gone. The devil's temptations and naggings forever gone. The Bible says our flesh wars against the spirit. We see that the Lord promises to come and help his people, verse 73. Verse 75, that we might serve him in holiness and righteousness. That's a battle, to serve God in holiness and righteousness. But the Lord will come in a way that will help us overcome our flesh. The Spirit of God is at work in us to help us overcome our flesh that would fight against and that wrestling that goes within we will know perfect peace within. A world that was handed over to a curse. Jesus will come and bring in the new creation, all the troubles and things that torment us and all the things that are around us that cause life. Jesus says, we will have many troubles. This world will be renewed. Jesus is going to smash the old world away and bring in the new creation. 1 Corinthians 15 says the last enemy to be destroyed is death. When Jesus, the horn of salvation, comes, he will take death by the throat and he will throw it away. He will destroy it. We will be raised, resurrected, bodies like Jesus, to dwell with our Lord forever. No dying, no suffering, no sickness, no disease, no mourning. Being saved from all our enemies. That's what God's people, that's what Zechariah was longing for. That's what David longed for. That's what Abraham longed for. God establishing his people Israel in a place of rest and peace. And the Lord has come and says, Zechariah, your boy is going to announce his coming, the one who's going to accomplish that. So how should God's people live who know the king? In holiness and righteousness, that is what we have been saved for, to serve God in holiness and righteousness. 
The word that's often translated holy in the Bible has to do with being set apart. But the word translated here, holiness, is a different word. It's a word more about piety. It is about living rightly. And so God's going to do a work in us that's going to set us free and set his people free. That idea of our heart of stone being replaced by a heart of flesh. That we might live for God. And it's similar to that righteousness that we might live lives in accordance with his ways. We are saved to live in obedience to him. And it's not going to be out of heartless duty. It's from being set free. We are set free to live for God. Set free to serve him. And that's 24-7. It's always and forever. It's helpful to stop and just reflect. Are you living as an enemy of God? Are you someone who's repented and has made your peace with God? And if you are a Christian, are you starting to find yourself trying to have a foot in both worlds, a bit for the world, a bit for God? If we have a bit for the world, we're living as an enemy of God. That God has set us free so that we can live holy and righteous lives. And then finally, how is all this possible? What is the key thing that the prophets were pointing to what is the promise what is the key thing that enables the promises to come to pass the third p propitiation verse 76 a new child will be called the prophet of the most high for you will go before the lord to prepare his way <coughs> here it is to give knowledge of salvation to his people in the forgiveness of their sins because of the tender mercy of our god whereby the sunrise shall visit us from on high to give light to those who sit in darkness and in the shadow of death to guide our feet into the way of peace. A covenant of mercy, tender mercy. Mercy is not being treated as we should be. We should be treated according to our sins. If God is not merciful, the Bible actually makes it clear Without Christ, we are enemies of God. Romans 5.10 We think, yay, God's going to save me from all my enemies, but we need to stop and know that without Christ, you are one of them. I am one of them. And so God in his mercy says he's going to send Jesus to save his people from their sins and to redeem them. God's wrath is coming and he's going to pluck out a people to be spared. And Zechariah praises God. Because this is about saving all God's people, to save his people. That includes Abraham. That includes David. That includes Isaiah. Without Jesus' coming, they are not saved. Romans 3.25, we are told that God has left the sins committed beforehand unpunished until Jesus came. God showed mercy to David, to Abraham, to Isaiah. But if God had not held back in mercy until the cross, they should have been consumed for their sin. All those who lived before the cross were waiting and looking forward to the coming of the Messiah who would pay for their sin. We live this side. We look back to the Messiah who has paid for them. And so Zechariah rejoices because the one who would save God's people from Adam and Eve all the way to the very last has come to die on the cross. Verse 74 tells us that we can serve him without fear because there's no way a sinner 
can come before God and serve him without fear. God is righteous. The wages of sin is death. God is a consuming fire. But Jesus has come to bear that fire that we might not be counted as one of his enemies, but as his friend and more so as his children. John Chapman is with the Lord now, but this comes to mind as illustration that he gave many years ago. He said when the, the pioneers or the settlers in America went from one coast to the another, they'd have to cross these big prairies. And often the, with, in South Africa, all the felt, so the big, the high grass. And sometimes there'd be an electrical storm off in the distance that would light a fire. And suddenly with the winds and across the prairie, fires would be fanned up and be racing like 100 kilometres an hour, tearing across. And what the settlers worked out, what they'd do is they would get out their wagons, they'd light an area and burn a patch. And then they'd get all their wagons and go back onto that patch and form their little circle. And then the fire would come tearing across the prairie where it come, would then burn around them and then keep going. John Chapman was illustrating that where God's wrath has burned, it won't burn again. If you find your place of safety where God's wrath has burned, you are safe. Jesus is our propitiation, which means God's wrath has been satisfied. When we put our trust in Jesus, we find the forgiveness of sins because the ram, Abraham was there, God provided a ram. Jesus, the invincible ram who can smash everything, willingly laid down his life to be the sacrifice. God's wrath burns, the penalty's paid. You'll count it, your sins and have no weight anymore. They're cancelled. And so God left the sins committed beforehand unpunished. God has left your sins unpunished until he brought you to faith in Jesus. All those who share in that forgiveness. Jesus is not just the light to the Jews, he's the light to the Gentiles. All who look to him are welcomed and accounted as his people whom he will deliver from their enemies. It says there the tender mercy of God. God wasn't coerced into showing you mercy. God didn't think it was a good idea. The literal expression has to do with the bowels. It's a very strong and impressing expression in the, to the originals, people who heard it, because it's about it's coming from within. God was from his inner being, from his bowels, he was turned and moved to show you mercy. And he sent his son, his one and only son, whom he did not withhold, but willingly laid him down. The ram who could walk, run and smash every single enemy, willingly was led silently to the slaughter and allowed men to nail him to a cross and then cried out, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? The invincible one laid down his life. The lamb without blemish laid down his life that you might be saved, the wrath to come. That you might be saved from all your enemies. That you might be a people whom he would guide you into the way of peace out of the darkness into the light to know what it is to live without the shadow of death hovering over you or the cloud of darkness surrounding you if God is for you who can be against you <laughs> Jesus is unstoppable 
The day is coming when we will all be gathered into his kingdom. Jesus will be seated on his throne. All our troubles will be memories. And we'll forever give him glory for his full redemption, his full deliverance, that Christ has left no stone unturned. From our innermost being, he has delivered us. To the furthest corners of the earth, he's delivered us. And from the farthest extremities of the heavenlies, he's delivered us from all who would oppose us in all things. That we can walk in paths of perfect peace forevermore. Amen. Heavenly Father, we thank you for the hope that we have in Jesus. Lord, thank you for your mercy. Thank you for showing us such kindness. Forgive us when we are harsh against you, God, for your compassion, your mercy comes from within. You are slow to anger, abounding in love. Lord, without Christ, we are your enemies. We thank you that you have spared us, you have plucked us out, and you have placed us in the ark of Jesus and made us part of your nation that will be spared. And so, Father, we pray as we go forth that we would rejoice like Zechariah does that we would be glad in being able to serve you, to offer our bodies daily as living sacrifices, to live holy and righteous lives. And Father, we pray that as we declare your glory, your goodness, that others would hear about Jesus and be saved. In his name we pray. Amen.